Welcome to No Cartridge Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk. I'm Hagelbon on Twitter, and I'm here with Tara, uh, who is going to well, she's going to talk to us about uh, baseball sims, uh, front office sims, baseball general sports. Kara, uh, uh, can you sort of give us a, a, a sense of what you're up to? Give us an introduction. Uh, say your Twitter handle. We can get all that out of the way right off the top. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm Kara. I am on Twitter at uh, Kara Koyunlu. It's Kara with a Q. Uh, Q-A-R-A-K-O-Y-U-N-L-U. I know that's terrible <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, to remember, especially because I spell my name differently from my Twitter handle. It's already taken. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so I have um, a Twitter account and not much else, but I um have known Trev for a while and um before the podcast and both after and I am really glad to be on uh with him. That's my cat. <laughs> oh no, it's great. We should yeah. uh what's your cat's name? We can introduce her into the podcast. Uh but which is good because I'm the kind of nerd who this is video game related. Her name is Fi. And oh. she is named after the uh, Zero Escape games, which, okay. which I don't know if you've played. I actually uh, just picked them up. I talked to, um, what was that? Oh, yeah, with uh, with uh, Erica. Um, oh, yeah. Who was Lavos. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I did listen to that episode. I remember her mentioning them. I have nothing but strong recommendations for them. Um, they have absolutely nothing with what I came on to talk about today, but <laughs> I, I'd, great. I'd be glad if, if, if you want to audible the last second to a Zero Escape podcast, I'd be glad to talk about that for an hour. I'll, uh, I'll do my best, but uh, I, I don't think... I think I have to play them first. Um, yeah. yeah. They seem pretty interesting, though, uh, so maybe I'll have you back on. Um, I'd like to. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we, we've been following each other for a while, and I think uh, the the reason we started following each other was because of baseball, unless I'm yeah. not... Okay, yeah, so... That, that's um, more likely than not. Yeah, probably. So uh, give us an idea of sort of where you fall in terms of uh, your understanding of baseball, just in general, and then maybe in terms of um, how it relates back to uh, video games, uh, and we can branch off from that as as, as we do. Right, right. Well, you know, there's just this whole culture of uh, modern modern baseball just fandom that has, you know, been getting less and less, well, I don't, I don't want to say less and less away from the game itself, but more and more delving into, you know, baseball statistics, baseball analysis, that, that sort of thing, the sabermetrics, all that sort of thing, you know, popping up since the, probably probably in the, in the popular um, consciousness since about the mid two mid early two thousands, so that whole sort of area is definitely where I came um, to baseball from. Just being a complete nerd about it, um, more more so than um, more so than an athlete about it. Though you know, as every child in America did, I played some sort of baseball when I was about five years old. So yeah, I, right. I did the t-ball route and and yeah, yeah, exactly. As soon as someone started pitching, it was it was pretty off the table for me. Um, yeah, <laughs> so right, so and you know, and and that's branched off into you know many different threads of you know everyone has their own how far they want to get into the stats. Everyone you know has their own communities based on which which stats they like the best, which websites they like the best, and now kind of. Kind of this sure. weird whatever counterwave of like people are using and abusing baseball statistics and talking about baseball and I don't know where we end up landing and it's it's a mess. Yeah, so the counterwave is really interesting to me and I want to I want to bring it back to that, but I, I you know I'm kind of curious because you bring it up and. You know, you and I have a very similar uh, entry point into the sport, although I'm sure I came into it a little later, like being interested in it because, you know, as maybe not, but like as a nerd sort of growing up, I I didn't think Mm -hmm. I liked sports at all. And then sort of I I kind of got into it backwards through football and then getting to understand that I liked baseball as well. Um, But definitely one of the formative moments, and I'm sure this is like, you know, everyone online, but one one of the formative moments for me enjoying baseball was uh reading moneyball um and and so i wonder um and then you know one of the things that kind of branched out into not just following the phillies who you know are my local team but all the whole league um was getting into fantasy baseball so i wonder like you know one of the things we're going to talk about today is uh our, our sims like um 
uh, general manager sims like uh, out of the park baseball, baseball or baseball mogul um that, that sort baseball of baseball mogul yeah that's a great one um all of these there's these sims right that are like incredibly popular um but that rely on numbers and i'm wondering how much and and i guess my answer is it has something to do with it but maybe you have a more specific answer how much of um how much of like that do you how much of the popularity of statistics do you um lay at the door of like fantasy baseball and like basically simulation oh, of baseball absolutely um i'm I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought that up i was th- i was thinking of talking along the same lines but um yeah just the, just this kind of culture shift in terms of how people follow baseball i mean obviously baseball you know been around hundred, hundreds of years um always been a pretty a statistical game you know the batting average you know which we all take took for granted for so long is just a really strange convoluted stat that's been people that's been followed since the early 1900s or whatever i don't have the year in front of me but and and the box score you know is is just how everyone followed baseball you know especially in a time that it wasn't uh, as readily available nationally um for everyone's media consumption but then definitely to this this kind of newer wave you know once we did have tv of the, of this fantasy baseball um especially that just kind of changed how you're really consuming the game itself and you're just kind of not thinking about it as an athletic competition so much as kind of this weird backdrop that kind of spits numbers back out at you that that you're kind of and and that and that's what you that's what you end up getting getting uh, more more invested. Yeah, I mean it's 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 amazing. I guess that that's a really um, evocative way of putting it because I I think the you know, one of the things that's always stood out to me about uh, baseball video mm-hmm. games in general is that there's like the same amount, if not you know, well I guess the same amount of popularity between something like um, the show, which is just like a full on simulation, right then out of the park or baseball mogul or something like that, right? Like, uh, statue games and full on simulations seem to sort of share, um, baseball fan, uh, uh, the sort of like consciousness. Um, and yeah, I think that's like the, the way you put it about like these numbers coming alive as opposed to the game itself for many, for many fans and like even sort of the mainstream fan at this point, um, it, it really explains that. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I definitely think so. You know, baseball kind of in in terms of baseball's relation to you know other mainland sports, your football, your basketball, your hockey. It's less traditionally like athletic. There is less you know action from moment from moment to moment. And you know, kind of the old joke is that you go to the ballpark to have a have a beer and a hot dog and just have yeah, something sure. to right. chat about exactly. you know, on, the, on the field before rather than actually. Um, putting much stock in the outcome of the game, so that's something I've said about video games as well from time to time. Where like, in, you know, a oh, friend of mine when I used when I was getting back into video games after being out of them for a while, a friend of mine and I would just play RPGs like super long form RPGs, not because we were super interested in playing them, but because we needed something to do while we just like hung out and chatted all night. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I have I have that experience as well. To follow baseball, you know, it's just. Um, you know, it's a long season that's moment to moment, you know, two thirds of play more than that, but most, more often than not, a play is going to end in an out. Outs are usually mm-hmm. pretty boring in routine. Um, so just to, to derive something from baseball, you know, at, at some point when it, when it's all televised, you know, it's, it's, it's all around you. You don't have as much of the, um, detachment from it you you kind of have to you kind of keep deriving these different uh different ways to consume it and definitely fantasy baseball is the kind of the what what i think is the progenitor of a lot of this um a lot of this genre of both fantasy baseball and kind of your um even before that your kind of stratomatic baseball you know the the old you know old uh weird pen and paper dice rolling s- simulations guys which just just in the sixties with these giant reams of paper with hundred sided dies or whatever. I, 
No, I mean, I've just, I've just always assumed it was like Dungeons and Dragons for baseball. So, I mean, you and I are both making caricatures of type, but you know, I just, you know, it's, it's, it's very much true. If people listening aren't familiar with sort of like the history of saber metrics, you know, it's very much true that a lot of the early history kind of mirrors that early history of like a Gygax or a, or a jobs or whatever, where like you sort of imagine someone like Bill James in because like you know his his sort of like day job or night job as it were um so the story goes was like he was a night janitor or a night watchman and thought about baseball a lot and then went home and sort of like wrote about it but like you know these were abstracts sold in the back of magazines whatever like there's there's a very much a uh a nerd in a garage with a bunch of reams of paper kind of thing going on um and and you Absolutely. know it's I guess what's amazing to me, and this can like this probably can lead into the question about the backlash. But what's amazing to me is that that has become not this sort of offshoot. So like when you know in like 2005 or whatever, when Fire Joe Morgan was, um, you know, running at full speed, uh, you know, Ken Tremendous and company were basically sort of like arguing that that was an okay position to take. Like you could be an analytic fan, and like you know that that was something that was. Ultra right. or whatever like it was like not considered to be okay um but now we have statcast now we have various places popping up like you know obp instead of average um we have at the ballparks even like at, at the at the big ballpark video boards I, I see all the time i mean i mean most teams are doing it i believe i keep seeing the reds which might just be because of joey vado's influence you can make joey vado look amazing as soon as you put advanced stance at the picture but um it's amazing that it's mainstream now, right? Like that's that's like so surprising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's you know when when I was getting into it, yeah, it definitely felt. You know, you mentioned you brought up Fire Joe Morgan, and I think a lot of the tone of Fire Joe Morgan was explicitly like outsider, sure. adversarial. Um, you know, kind of us against the world. We're absolutely right because we have this <laughs> secret knowledge, and that that the world doesn't that. You know that Joe Morgan, fantastic baseball player who loved to, um, who walked all the time, had great great uh, value in the advanced stats. Joe, but Joe Morgan as a commentator was just this was just this kind of symbol of the sure. old timey you know guy who thinks he knows everything because he played the game you know so but we with our with our stat statistics think that we know better than that. Right. Yeah. I mean that was I I, I recall. Um, uh, post where uh paul canerico got upset about pakoda uh predicting the 2006 white Sox to to perform under expectations or something like that after their world series win um they made fun of him and then pakoda actually nailed the exact amount of wins and i remember i remember reading that and thinking (laughs) like haha these you know they're all wrong like we're we're the right ones um but of course like i don't think that way anymore and to to a large degree and and many of us don't so Explain that sort of backlash that I think baseball Twitter for sure, but I think a lot of like even even like some of the stalwarts at at Fangraphs and um, I write a baseball prospectus uh, periodically. Like yeah. the people there are pushing back a little bit against this vision of like numerical ascendancy. So like, how do you see that playing out? Right, right. Well, I think there's a lot of um, a, a lot of different factors that go into that. Um, I think that everyone in 2005 was a lot more convinced in their um, knowledge of just the way statistics in general works than they um, probably ought to have been. <laughs> um, just, just statistics as kind of a mathematical field, you know, nothing is 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 quite as certain as um, you know when you put when you put a likelihood down of something that that implies a sort of of certainty, you know, like a Pakoda projection, you know, especially when you nail one, like it's like oh, Pakoda says the White Sox are going to win 72 games, you know, that <laughs> implies a sort of certainty, especially when it's coming from this magical computer that's crunching all the stats, you know, that, uh, you know, brilliant, uh, millionaire Nate Silver cooked up. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, 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 I think you're right. Like it's what, I guess if you're sort of like working out a trajectory of doubt, right. The trajectory of doubt starts off with this idea that like, oh yeah, you know, when we talk about these stats, it's about, um, uh, confidence uh, intervals, like and and right. a confidence interval is like okay, so right. yeah, they probably will win seventy one games, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that they win one hundred and twenty, and it's not out of the realm of possibility that they win forty. Um, I think it's out of the realm. Of well, yeah, probably, yeah. It's, like, it's, the, it's the you know Donald Trump election of the baseball world, but uh, 
Right. But the, uh, yeah, so like you start thinking that and then you're thinking like, oh, so it's just like a probability machine. And then, I, you know, what's so interesting to me, and, and maybe you can, uh, I don't know if you, you can speak to this or not, but like, it, it, what's really interesting to me is this, I, I, I associate it with Eno Saris a lot, but I think a lot of writers do this, where like there's this move to sort of like think about baseball as basically this move back to like being Joe Morgan, where you're like, oh, I want to talk to the people who play the game. Like asking about pitch grips or asking, right. like thinking about the importance of clubhouse uh, uh, bonds or like stuff like that. Like, right. That, and, and that's become so serious again. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that is because we've kind of internalized a lot of understanding of what um, of the fact that there might be a variable that statistics are just not able to capture at all. And I think that when uh, in, in that Fire Joe Morgan era, we kind of assumed that if we couldn't quantify something very well, then it just mm-hmm. was completely irrelevant. Um, so, and, and I think the biggest shock uh, that, that's come out to that in recent time is sure. a catcher framing stat. You know, the, 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 the archetype of the veteran catcher, you know, is this kind of like mystical figure who has this outcome on on the game to like you know manipulate his pitcher and such we we you know all poo-pooed that it's like oh it's completely ridiculous a pitcher's a pitcher you know but um once we get the uh the data to track um you know pitches um what is it pitch fx and and such where you can actually track the physical you know location of every pitch by radar or whatever they're using i'm not a not a radar expert but the the fact that you can see that these catchers actually by you know subtly manipulating where their glove is um you know get umpires to call things that are ball strikes instead have this giant impact that we can now quantify on, on the game and you know it you know right. before we thought pitch framing was nothing and now we think pitch framing is maybe the most important component of catcher value yeah and then there's like maybe maybe it's also the the fact that we get some information so quickly these days too like even between you know when when moneyball's published of course but also even fire joe morgan and now there's like this massive increase in the kind of information we get and the speed at which we get it where like you know even thinking about that right like there's also the snarky reply you can give like oh yeah like so every team should go like try and sign jose molina to uh you know, two hundred million dollar uh, contract, right? Like, it, and then people would say, like, well, no, like, you know, pitcher framing is is overblown. It's not as important as as we once thought, or like maybe the answer lies somewhere in the middle, or it is important. Um, there's like an immediate sort of like ping ponging between um, this stat proves this or this stat doesn't prove this almost instantly, right? Like, especially within the analytics community on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Every everyone loves new things. You know, everyone uh, these days loves their um, batted ball data. You know, your, sure. um, oh, your vo- yeah, hard your hits, soft hits, hard, yeah. hard hits, velocity, barrels. Mm. You know, that sort of. And it goes back to what we were talking about, where like it is about projecting for your fantasy team. Right. It. Um, yeah. I mean, that that's that ends up being what most people's you know emotional and often material interests are um, <laughs> in a. In, in you know trying to trying to pick players for you know fa- fantasy baseball is something you know to do not nothing to do with not nothing but you know less to do with the concept of like you're having a favorite team to win a baseball game yeah no and, I, and this is something that i've i've sort of thought about a lot and it, it has something to do with the way the phillies have played since 2012 but um <laughs> you know <laughs> probably has a lot to do with that but there's less that i there's less interest or less sort of like fanatical interest I have in watching every single pitch of a Phillies game. I still right. follow them. I mean, I'm still a fan, but right. um, since I started playing fantasy baseball in like 2010, cause like yeah. now I can think about like, Oh, like how's Alex Bregman doing? I own him in like two leagues or how's, you know, you know, Jacob DeGrom pitched tonight and I started him in one of my ESPN leagues and I looked and he did great. So like, that makes me feel good, even though it's a Mets win. Um, <laughs> Which it is, makes nobody, un, nobody yeah, feel right. good. No one should feel happy. Not even Mets fans. <laughs> no, they, well, they never do. So like we're in luck. <laughs> um, they, uh, I have a, one of my colleagues in, in, in uh, graduate school. Um, I don't think she's listening, but hi, Mary um, is uh, her, her, two of her brothers she's from new york um and her whole family's yankees fans um except like one of her brothers who's a mets fan um yeah and uh i think the her one brother bought him 
they you know both of them tickets to the subway series and they all went to them in, in 2000 which just must have been awful for the mets brother oh gosh yeah it just must have been like i i think about that sometimes and i just wince <laughs> it's just the worst yeah uh, it's, it's funny that you mentioned starting fantasy baseball around 2010 because i think that is probably right around when i stopped playing fantasy uh, interesting which is, which is it's, it's its own thing yeah i stopped um yeah why why'd you stop um, I find these stories interesting, fascinating, actually. Yeah, the reason why I'm, people stop playing fantasy. I can't really um, put a finger on it other than I got grossly antisocial <laughs> for a while. I mean, that's one thing. Yeah, but... yeah that's cool. <laughs> um, so, so, I mean, that's a good segue <laughs> into into more into what we're going to talk about at some point, which is um, these these kind of sports management video games that you play on your own and have your own little tiny fantasy world. So, yeah, but I was um, going to say that you, you brought up material games as well, and I think like that materiality is like really important. Um, w- uh, the fact that kind of kind of like yeah, ironically or paradoxically, yeah, because it's it's this immaterial thing, but the materiality of the thing is so important. Right. Let me ask it this way: How do you understand these games functioning in relation to real baseball? Like we've talked a little bit about how fantasy uh, functions, and I think in a lot of ways, fantasy is its own sort of like version of a of a casual yeah. video game or something like that. Oh, how do you see these spreadsheet games working in terms of like, I guess like. What's their relationship to real baseball? How do they how do they sort of present the I world mean, of real baseball? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the way I've been conceptualizing it recently is that um, they're, um, you know, at, at their core, they are video games. They are, you know, something that's perched in the, you know, kind of simulation genre that you would place your kind of civilization, your, I don't know, Master of Orion, whatever kind of strategy game you want to you want to name, but the, the fact that it's based in something uh, that is, you know, an existing sport, that it's baseball means you can have a ridiculously complex rule set and that just every, but that pretty much everyone who's going to play is going to immediately grasp. So you can kind of like get this kind of deeper game out of it without, um, you know, w- without the pitfall of, of having someone jump into these ridiculously complex systems that, you know, might, you know, throw them off if, if there's if there's something created arbitrarily for the game, you know. But everyone kind of has this core grounding in what baseball is. So you can just come in and, you know, maybe you don't know all the particulars of, you know, 40-man roster rules designating people for assignments, such and such, but you can kind of pick up, you know... Mo- most Some teams don't know it, yeah, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Um, um, yeah, no, that's, I mean, and you're right, like, there's a, there's a quality of that that works even when, like, so, like, immediately when you said Master of Ryan, I'm thinking, like, yeah, you know, there are 4X games that are so um, complicated in terms of their premises that they kind of throw off, um, right. you know, neophyte gamers or whatever. But then again, you get games like um, Europa Universalis or, or some of like the, the Paradox Universe. games. Yeah, where like it's historical, right? Like there, there is a premise there that people can follow. There's a um, premise, yeah. But yeah, but, but baseball, you're right. It's like super simple. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 more the the mechanical aspect, the the rules of the game itself, you know. In European Universalis, there is you know some context to reality, to reality, but you don't know like that, you know, literally. In 1500, uh, a royal marriage gets you plus 50 reputation points or whatever. But but you, but but you know in baseball, you know what a home run is, and you know what happens when you hit a home run and someone on base, and you know just the myriad rules of baseball. And you, mm. you can just kind of you can just kind of have that off the bat. But I th- I think you bring up European Universalis uh, leads me to the second half of that coin, which is um, if you think about baseball video games as just as just a video game. Is that you have lore, <laughs> you have yes, this very giant, true. giant, giant. You know, especially in his in terms of baseball, you have over a hundred years of this really intricate, just all these storylines, all these characters, and you've just internalized that over your life already, and you can just kind of have that in the middle of a video game without it ever having to dump on dump on you like why why the Yankees mean something with a or why the Padres mean something different. So, as someone who lived in San Diego for a couple of, for a couple oh, of years. Poor, poor Padres. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
Uh, I uh, just just to get uh, get it out of the way, um, I'm from uh, Southern California, kind of Orange County area. I am an LA Dodgers fan in baseball, so I've been having a good couple of years. Yeah, I thought you were a Dodgers fan. Oh, geez, yeah. you're lucky enough to. Well, you were lucky enough to listen to Vince Scully, and you're lucky enough to oh, still gosh. be watching Clayton Kershaw. It's it's a good life for you. Absolutely. <laughs> well, no, and I, I'm glad you brought up the the, the Padres because we were talking before the show about. Um, you know, the ways in which baseball can end up being sort of this um, gamified is the wrong way to say it because, of course, it's a game, so it's gamified. But, right. like, it's a um, – it's very commodified. It's very sort of, like, um, yeah. made into what, what Joe Morgan might call computer numbers. But, like, in in a uh, in a problematic way, you think about, like, someone like A.J. Preller, right, who yeah. in in – tearing down the Padres and sort of like making the Padres anew, you know, maybe he is doing it the right way. We've never seen a, wow. a, a, a I, I don't think so, but like, you know, we've never seen a rebuild like he's doing at this point. It's like <laughs> nakedly a rebuild. Right? Um, um, I think we can go, go ahead and address that. No, no, but I, I was just, I was just saying like, he's relying on rule five guys. He's relying on guys that, that can't, that can't really command a really big salary yeah. or anything like that. But, but you, you have a, you, this might lead into it. So what's your, what's your take on Preller? Preller. Um, I have to say, I didn't prepare to talk much about Preller and I'm a little bit out of the loop on baseball. I know he is, I know Preller years ago tried this whole strategy with, you know, big splashy free agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your, your Matt Kemp. Um, yeah, right. There was that off season where he just acquired um, everyone. Yeah, he just acquired everyone. Uh, James Shields and, James uh, Shields and the, um, the closer. Gosh, what's his name? I'm sorry. Oh yeah, he got a uh, uh, not um, from the Braves. Yeah, Kimbrel. Kimbrel. Kate Kimbrel. Yeah, that's yeah, 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 right. And and they just <laughs> had quite a disaster season. So now, so yes, now they're they're moving into this rebuild area. But I mean, rebuilds are kind of. They they've been a constant across many sports, and I think in recent years that it's been um, been definitely accelerating the trends across sports. And I think um, what I, what I have to bring up, especially with someone from Philly on the line, is uh, Sam Hankey <laughs> in the seventy six. Sure. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I I have a very complicated relationship with Sam Hankey because I think I can imagine. Yeah, I think it's like I think it's a smart. I think I think he noticed the thing in the NBA, which is true that you need a superstar to compete, and I think if you want a superstar, you need the top pick in the draft. So like, fine. <laughs> um, but I've also seen people describe what Hankey does as shock capitalism, and I think there's some merit to That's that. That's not inaccurate. Yeah. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um... Right. So, so, so what we've kind of been dancing around is that the thing, the thing about a rebuild is that yes, you are theoretically securing these future assets because you know sports have this draft system that you know lets that rewards teams for being bad down the line, rewards teams that are bad now down the line essentially. But the other thing about a rebuild is that you can just um, you just aren't paying players anymore. You just reduce your. you reduce your payroll and suddenly you're making a lot more profit off this capitalistic enterprise that modern sports has become. And I think a lot of that ties into um, this, this concept of um, seeing players as these kind of just fungible assets that, Mm -hmm. um, that, that this kind of less so fantasy baseball because fantasy baseball doesn't have contracts, but especially the, the kind of uh, money ball and post money ball era uh, you know, you know, Moneyball. The the whole concept of Moneyball is that that they're not going to go out and spend a lot of money on their team, which in in that case was imposed by their owner, who right. is attempting to make a large profit off of his team, and his concern is not winning. Yeah, <laughs> it's something. Though. It's something that I think is easy to forget about Moneyball, um, I, because of course, like in the book, so you know, famously in the book, uh, Billy B and the GM of the Athletics doesn't want to. Um, I think he doesn't want to. I say famously, but of course I don't remember the particulars. Um, doesn't want to draft Nick Swisher, and they do anyway. Like he's sort of over overridden, and they draft this you know splashy you know Steve Swisher's son and whatever, right? Um, but the reason he doesn't want to draft Nick Swisher isn't because he doesn't think Nick Swisher is going to be a good player. Um, it's because he imagines Nick Swisher is going to cost a lot of money, and like he's right. going to be good and. Well, they're gonna not be able to afford him, or I forget exactly. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not sure if that's the exact narrative. I think he, I think Swisher. I think he likes Swisher, and it's especially less of a less of a concern in baseball because in baseball, 
and a new draft pick salaries are going to be suppressed for so long. You know, you're going yeah, to the be... draft's a wrong way to think about it. I guess it's more like free agency. Yeah, free um, free agency is is where he doesn't. Um, you know, he like uh, the 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 conceit at the start of the book is that the is that the Athletics had a I don't know why I'm calling the Athletics the fucking Oakland A's and you know are losing you know their best players that after that first year right. that they, right, uh, right, they're right. they're losing Giambi, they're losing Johnny Damon, and that's because they can't afford them or according to you know. The owner. The owner. Yeah, and I guess the the thing to say there would be Bean would actually totally have no problem with keeping those guys. It, were were he able to afford them? It's not that Bean right. like hates them or doesn't think like no, keeping just, good players in the roster is a good thing. It's just that he has a he has an edict from above that he can't spend more than X and, amount of dollars. Right, and I think he. I, one of the conceits is like, yeah, we can replace that production with lower paid players, but what that's essentially saying is we can get the same production by paying labor less. Yeah. So, I mean, when, when you, when you come out, when you come no, out, you're right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's, there's kind of like this flip side to, to Moneyball where just the, the Moneyball ethos is deeply, deeply, uh, anti-labor. <laughs> it's yeah. It, and it's, it's, it's a, it's something that I, I think I probably told this story on the podcast before, but like I had a moment where I'm sure I did. Um, I think I told it when I was talking to Scott Benson about Night in the Woods, but like I love that guy. Oh, thank you. Um, but the uh, uh, I had a moment where I was talking with a friend of mine who wanted to start a school, and I was saying, yeah, like you know, what we could do if I was to help you start the school would be like, you know, maybe you can think about this from like a Moneyball perspective and start paying like teachers who are you know if you don't have enough money, find teachers who are valued, who like do good things with students. But, like, the market doesn't value them right, so you can pay them lower salaries. Right. And, like, in saying that, you realize how, like, barbaric it is. Right. Like, how just, like, awful it is to to say that kind of thing. And it's like, oh, no. Like, that's really yeah. awful. Like, people should be paid for what they do, not because, like, you found something they do well and they're not valued. Right. Um, and and that, like, I don't, I don't necessarily know if Michael Lewis or Billy Bean are anti-labor in no. any more serious way than like a mainstream author or the GM of a baseball team are. I do think that, you know, if you look at the Astros or you look at the Padres or you look at the Absolutely. Sixers, right? The, the Hinky Sixers, you can make like, you can make a fairly serious claim that that's a, that's an anti-labor like uh, group there. Like that's, that's a concerted collusion against labor. Yeah. Um, and, and, you sort of alluded to it and I, I just want to tease it out cause I think it's really smart. You know, there's this, there's this part where the fans are complicit because we are all smart now, right? We understand right. money ball or we Absolutely. understand yeah. the idea of losing to win. We watched the Cavs, right? We watched, um, you know, you watched I mean, the Cubs. Uh, yeah, the Cavs. uh, and so, you know, like, yeah, you know, if I sit through a losing season, it's not, it's not the team's fault. It's not anyone's fault. I'll still buy my tickets, you know, support the home team. Um, and I'll be there. I'll be there to, to be down the parade when I say like, Oh yeah, I was there during the losing seasons too. I'm not a bandwagon. fan. <laughs> um, and, and then the team realizes like, Oh, we can make just as much money and just say we're rebuilding and bring in like fun prospects or something like absolutely. that. Absolutely. You start branding the rebuild. I mean, the process is right. Yeah. I mean, that right. it, yeah, no, absolutely. you make, you make a brand out of um, the fact that we're going to lose a lot and pay our players nothing and just have a bad sport on the field. <laughs> that, that becomes what you're selling. I believe that Astros actually um, were the first to, to, they were to, to yes. kind of, to kind of get the shirt to you know sell shirts with the word process on them <laughs> while they were while they were a terrible losing team but obviously that's become completely associated with the Sixers by this point. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean that's, you know, the, for for any number of reasons. But the yeah, and it's I think it ties back to these spreadsheet games in some ways because like yeah. people start imagining chunks of time. And here's like here's like the really sort of meta- metaphysical question about sports like what is the relationship between like enjoyment of sports and time? So like in a way where you talked about like following the Dodgers and having a good time, I think like some people would question that and be like, well, they like they fell short in the playoffs every year. Like, how could right. you be having a good time? Right. And it's like, well, like it's it's a 162 game season. It's it's a great thing to watch um, when your team is good. Like when you have fun players on the team. I remember really enjoying the 2011 Philly season. Like I didn't enjoy the NLDS, but like right. I enjoyed the season. Um, I enjoyed the NLDS too. I just didn't enjoy the end. Of course. But like, you know, there, there is, there's this time investment in this sort of like 
metaphysical investment in like your time and what you get out of watching a sport and what you get out of a winning season versus a losing season that isn't reflected in those spreadsheet games when you're just like, okay, I'll tank yeah, from twenty so little. Yeah. Like I'll just sim twenty ten to twenty twenty. Oh look, I have like seven first round picks now. I'll, yeah, I'll be great. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's a, that's a great way of thinking about it. Yeah, it, it just it costs you nothing to lose in those games, whereas you know, right. in in the real world, it costs you years. You know, where you are counting on sports to, you know, be a sort of you know source of entertainment for you. And if you go and if you're someone who enjoys watching good basketball, you know, you haven't had a chance to do that in Philadelphia for quite a while, <laughs> you know, to go, yeah. to go to the game. And and I think that's, you're where, right. the, that's where one of the strongest uh, criticisms of Hinky comes out and is like fundamentally the fact that we've all, not all of us, but the fact that so many people have moved to the concept that the goal of a sports team is to eventually win a championship at some point, rather than the goal of a sports team to be, to provide an, to provide entertainment for us night to night to, you know, exist as something that we can watch and enjoy and maybe have some sort of weird civic pride in, which is also strange for a bunch of private enterprises. But I think well, that, yeah, that's, I mean, that's I, I, I mean, that's its own kind of worms. I think yeah. that we, no, I mean, we're both militant leftists. We don't have to get into it. We both agree that all sports teams should be nationalized, obviously, but sure, um, of course, well, they yeah. should be like the Philadelphia 76ers, but like owned by the, and owned like by the run by the city of city Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's a public utility. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. No, no, I'm not either. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's interesting because like, there, and I've never thought about it this way. And I'm glad you said that this that way because I've I've often thought about it, it was a provocation that um, my advisor in in graduate school, who's the most you know the the guy I learned Marxism from, um, and 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 unfortunately an avid Cardinals fan. Oh, um, I yeah, I gave him a lot of shit for it, um, but. Nice guy. Otherwise, uh, he he once posed the question of like what baseball players were. Are they like are they labor? Are they some sort of like you know exceptional character in capitalism? What are they, and and like you know they, they count as labor, but like if they're a star player, um, it's sort of dicey to figure out if they like if they're like mastering human capital on some level. Um, and it's hard. Like once you sort of like, I'm I'm giving it short trip. But if you sort of like spin it out enough, it gets very complicated. Right. Um, but what's interesting is like the way you're talking about like the goal of the team is to win a championship as opposed to provide enjoyment. It's another sort of neoliberal and and you know apologies for using the word at the moment, but like it's a great word. Yeah, I you know in, in graduate school we 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 got sick of people using it by like 2013 because like uic was just a hotbed of of leftists who were mad about neoliberalism and now it's coming back and i went finally uh, i went to grad school at stanford so i kind of had an an opposite um political experience to to say the least some folks some folks there i mean it depends on what department you were in Uh, i was in the political science department Ooh, okay, well, yeah. um, there, there, there's a reason that um, I am a grad school dropout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how how long it would have lasted if I if I had different politics uh, than my advisors. Um, actually, if 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 I can go on a tangent for a second, it's very, yeah, it's it's very interesting that you said you were um, you were kind of radicalized for lack of a better word at, at, at grad school that you it's where yeah, you learned for your sure. formal Marx. Marxism from I think I feel like I had the precise opposite experience, whereas mm. where I kind of had this. Kind of, I, I'm I'm a little bit younger than you, so I was I was in grad school around you know 2012 2013, okay, and had had this time online on Twitter where kind of the communities I were falling into were getting you know more and more left and more and more you know in, into that form of politics that mode of politics, and I I was very much a you know center left neoliberal you know I think I went to grad school with the explicit intent of following in Nate Silver's footsteps, you know, <laughs> being this this great, um, you know, poll statistician. And Who can blame you? Yeah, oh, <laughs> I can blame you now. <laughs> um, so, and and I and you know, but in my, in my personal time, I was I was slowly radicalizing myself and you know coming coming to terms with that left politics or you know what my heart believes in, and yeah. then in you know in my studies, they're surrounded by this you know, utter mass of, you know, technocratic neoliberalism. It's that, that is why I had to leave. It was, it was, 
it was it was a very uh, it was a very harrowing emotional experience to yeah that, to kind that of must be, have been I'm, intense. I'm I'm sure there's a way to bring this back to baseball. Um, I no, did there see, is. I mean, it's, I did it's, see Mark Appel there. That's a, that's a good um that's a good transition back to the Astros. Oh poor Mark Appel. Oh, oh, transition back to the Phillies now too. Um, oh, I, I had no idea. Poor, poor guy. Yeah, he's yeah. he's currently languishing in AAA with them now. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's. It is good because, like, it's a good transition. Because what I was going to say about, and it actually, is, you know, makes richer what I was going to say about uh, what I thought you were saying about teams and entertainment and championships. In that, like, there is a sort of like codification of the goal that is so endemic to neoliberalism, where like, you know, yeah. it's not about it's not about like experiences. It's not about what you get out of something. It's not about these sort of like soft, um, squishy right. uh, I- ideals. It's literally about like, and, and this happens in spreadsheet games. It's about like how many championships you can win, or like mm-hmm. what you can do with the team that you've amassed. It's not about watching the game. It's not about going right. there and enjoying it with your friends or family. It's about like, did they win a championship or not? And that's so um, that's so in line with this understanding of like human capital. Uh, Gary Becker's classic human capital, which you probably know better than I do, coming from where you're coming from. So Becker's whole point, um, if you haven't, uh, if you don't know, and, and basically for the listeners too, if you're wondering about uh, how to reappropriate the means of production uh the means of production exists within yourself and becker's a, an economist from the university of chicago if anyone's wondering where his political beliefs lie um uh was i think I, I think he's passed but the um the the idea that becker has is that like and this is a classic idea that is everywhere now um, whether you sort of recognize it or not by its name um, that like what you have is your own ability to improve and 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 mm-hmm. learn, um, and in fact what you do is that you valorize your own human capital, um, and that is how you make money and like invest in the market even if you are not a manager or even if you're not part of the management class, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is such a human capital position to be like, well, my team's bad now, but by going through struggles and by having bad times, they'll right. ultimately have good times, right? And it's like that's not what sports is supposed to do fundamentally, right? And 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 I think it and kind of kind of lends itself. We kind of loop back to the fact that it's something that we can easily quantify. You know, I mean, the old joke is that flags fly forever. You know, right. we we have this literal um, marker when you win a championship that that's something that's gonna that's going to be written down. You know, there's not going to be something for, oh, this was a really fun team. You know, I mean, we try, you know, journalists and writers try, but eventually it's going to lapse from lapse from the public memory over, yeah. over time possibly, or, you know, even like, oh, a good team that went to that, you know, lost in the NLDS or whatever. Yeah. Unless they sort of make it part of the, you know, I, I think like the 2007 Phillies who um, were really fun, but I think lost in the wild card. Mm-hmm. Um, game would be totally forgotten were it not for the 2008 Phillies, right? Like right. that's like one of those things where like sports writers will say like, oh, we knew it. Like that was the moment where that team really got fun. <laughs> like that was a fun year. And it's like, well, probably you wouldn't think that if like no. in 2008 they were they regressed, right? You, you um, probably didn't think that in 2007. You probably thought that yeah, that they was, was an okay okay team that were that turned out to be a bunch of losers. And I hope they do better. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Um, and, and thank God the Mets choked. But like. Oh, um, but the yeah, I think like another way to put that is that like sports or games in the world, and this goes back to my question about like how these spreadsheet games correspond to the real game of baseball. I guess the point would be like they don't like it's not a one to one correspondence. No, that you can't sort of pin expectations of what you get from a video game to what you get from like consuming sport in the real world. Like right. there's a different sort of like expectation of of effect. Right, right, and I and I think a, a lot of it also has to do with where you're kind of aligning the uh, the viewpoint of the of the consumer. You know, if you're going to align them, you know, spreadsheet games uh, explicitly place you in the role of the general manager. And I think mm. Moneyball is like as like a text explicitly frame Billy Bean, the general manager, as the protagonist. Yes, and absolutely. that's kind of and that's kind of. Um, a new way for people to 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 relate to sports. I feel like fairly new. I mean, um, no, I think like you go back and you think about like yeah, maybe it's like Bill Veek or Bill Bill Veck or no. however you say his name. Um, I never know if it's Veek as in Rack is a joke or Veck as in Rack is a, a pronunciation guide. Wow. But uh, if you think when you think about him or you think about like 
um, Connie Mack or any of these folks, right? Like, there's versions of that, but it's well, it's it's all through the cast of like mythology. Yeah, yeah, and and I think with with uh, Veek or Vec, I don't know either. Uh, Veek and Mack <laughs> is, is that their managers, you know, their on-field managers is is kind of what lives in the public persona of them. I feel like sure. more so than the, the front office stuff. Billy Bean, you know, essentially is a spreadsheet. I mean, the yeah. the the philosophical concept of Billy Bean that everyone kind of thinks of as Billy Bean is a spreadsheet guy. He's he's in the back office. He tells the manager what to do. He tells the players what to do. He signs all the players, makes all the trades. That is his role, and I think that's something that people want to relate with, want to aspire to, especially, I guess, in this human capital sense. Um, yeah, because you can be that. You, you can, can be that. Matter. You can, you can yeah, never matter hit a baseball. Gifts. It's so hard. Baseball's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, it's totally impossible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So you kind of yeah you can you can really imagine yourself in that role I mean and I still do to to some extent you know even knowing the kind of harrowing uh, yeah. real world dynamics of it I I still think it would be super cool if the Marlins uh, Mariners offered me a job right now I live in Seattle now it would not be cool if the Marlins offered you a job don't <sighs> don't, don't kid yourself no, no gosh no no I don't want to work for Jeb Bush. <laughs> I used to think the same thing though. I used to, I used to, I used to think like, boy, I would really love to, to just be a GM. And I, right. I don't think that anymore. But I think if you offered me the job, I would probably jump at it. And not right. just for the money. Like if you offered uh, me the job for ten thousand dollars a year, I'd probably jump at it because it'd be so fun. Maybe not ten thousand. I have to pay rent. But um, well, yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So um, ten thousand and a living expense. Let's say. Yeah. And uh, um, just just to be upfront, I still play these games constantly and love them. That that's the that's the point where I'm coming from. Um, I know you know, and, and I acknowledge the kind of you know slightly fraught nature of that. But I think that um, you know there there's there's a good level of enjoyment to be derived from that. To really you know have this kind of control over you know a, a world that you care about, the baseball world. Like I said, it's got you know that hundreds of years of lore to kind of just be in this strong position to influence it that is a really good power fantasy for a lot mm-hmm. of well, I mean I don't know about good morally but a strong good effectively sh- strongly felt one yeah absolutely yeah I guess it goes back to the uh, classic um, Cohen of, of any sort of leftist thought which is that you can sort of think anything you want or experience anything you want as long as you recognize the contradictions uh, <laughs> inherent right where it, I like those games too and I I play you know you said there's no salaries in fantasy baseball and i immediately thought of my my on a new team where i have you know not only salaries but raises and i have to consider whether or not players are effective at their current salary and whatever <laughs> right and i love that i have a blast with it Absolutely. but i'm a big you know, manager fan right now mostly. oh there you go right yeah <laughs> despite um despite not being as, as big into soccer as i am to many other sports and i think the same is true with baseball honestly if i, if I had yeah. to pick my favorite sports to like watch on television i think they would be basketball and maybe hockey mm. but um I, I think that baseball kind of lends itself to this um to this kind of thinking mindset so well and yes absolutely and you know ha- has has that infrastructure that you can really have a lot of have a lot of fun analyzing it and you know and that i think that's where we all came uh to it from you know you, you said you weren't interested in sports at all yeah yeah and then i sort of yeah fell and, into and, it and i mean that, that's kind of the that's a good gateway into it excuse me um right yeah and it, it really is about it really seems to me to be about um and maybe i'll i'll we can sort of like i think we're coming to a conclusion and i think part of that conclusion is you know it, it's about understanding that you can enjoy that element and you can enjoy that fantasy of imagining these things as numbers you can kind of like move around and become like perfect at managing a team um as long as you also understand like oh wait like these people in the world are actually people as well oh yeah and i and i think that happens you know maybe even more strongly in, in, in any other video games you know civilization you're literally starting wars you know yeah uh yeah. you know in um you know any you know kind of shooter war game you're murdering so many people you're <laughs> you're killing so many people there's a quote right. from um if i'm going so far on a tangent but um from a yoko taro who made a you know near automata uh dragon mm-hmm. Guard, that series of games i'm yeah, and he's giving this quote about some game, and it's like, 
you know, in so many so many games are about killing so many people to just inhabit the role of just a murderer is insane. You have to be you all, all characters all you know so many video game protagonists are just insane depraved people from yeah. how many they from how many people they kill. And I think that's so interesting coming from a video game designer who is making those kind of games who explicitly acknowledges that as a, as a theme in his games. Um, this is a podcast about baseball. <laughs> no, but I, it's, it's not totally. I, I it's, it's, it's about like, I think if I would, if I were to, to synthesize what you're saying there, it's about understanding that a simulation is, you, you sort of accept certain rules of a simulation and you accept certain premises uh for instance in a video game that you so like when i played doom the the 2016 doom but also the original doom Mm uh there's this feeling that ultimately it's okay that you're killing all these people because it's a simulation it's about you know getting through the levels it's 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 not actually about to kill people yeah right Mm -hmm. those are the rules those are the expectations those are the things you sort of accept it's interesting that with baseball and with sports in general, and I think this happens with a little bit with Madden and a little bit with, with the show, but ultimately when you try to play football or baseball in real life, it doesn't work the same way. No. Um, with a spreadsheet, you can't test it. So ultimately, you're sort of thinking like it, it's very easy to, to, to merge it. It's very easy to forget that you're accepting certain premises. Right. Exactly. Um, so so the, yeah. the kind of ethos that you adopt when, when you're playing this game you know, is, is one that you just throw back into the real world and you get you get people you know like luna hinky um yeah who who operate you know basically the same way that i might play one of one of these kind of games in a real world that's uh, you know and and there there are stories about jeff luna is it luna or luna um, i think it's luna i think you're right luna uh of you know just strange petty mistreatment of players you know just not you know ma- managing you know, not not really abiding by established rules of, of, mm-hmm. of mores of conduct in there, and you know, essentially making completely literal this kind of metaphor that of the players as assets that that this kind of thing that you know, kind of money ball in, into your out of the parks into back into the real world, you know, is, is kind of redoubled. Well, and then you you sort of think about the way that assets um, are used in sort of like late capitalism and you think yeah. 2008 and you think the idea of uh, you can go back to hinky and, and sort of my complex thoughts on hinky where there's it's amazing that they got pick swaps rights with the kings and an unprotected 2019 first and etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. um it's an incredible trade that he pulled off with them but literally he got that trade because he picked up two toxic assets from the from the king, the entire the... idea of a toxic asset is yeah. so anti-labor. The the fact that yeah. these these people signed to a legal contract to play basketball for a certain amount of money, and once they stop producing at a level that is, you know, ex- acceptable to you to to fans of the game, they become treated as though they're morally bad. Every everything yeah. about them is just a horrible horrible blight on you and as a philadelphian unload contracts unload assets as a philadelphian you know ryan howard is probably like the quintessential example of this you know he ryan Mm -hmm. howard is was a bad contract for something like five six years and just there you know the memories of him as a great player you know were kind of subsumed by the fact that he's a bad contract now and it was such a that was that was such an interesting one for a lot of people i think because he's also such a nice guy yeah that like I, I I interviewed him for uh, an S, uh, SB Nation's uh, Phillies uh, mm-hmm. site, The Good Fight, which is I'm still affiliated with them. They're great. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, I interviewed him once, and he couldn't have been nicer. He was just the nicest guy in the world. And that's just what everyone says. And it's just you sort of can get mad about the contract and mad about the asset and mad about this idea and thinking like, oh, could they unload him? Could they just eat some of the money and get him to some team who can use him for something or right, cut him just, or whatever? Get him away from me because he's toxic. Yeah, and then you sort of like, you think about the person and even the people on Philadelphia Radio who are, you know, of course known for their extreme <laughs> kindness and, uh, <laughs> and humanity uh, are like, yeah, it's, it's Ryan Howard. You know, he's he's not a jerk. He's, he's important to me. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, 
Yeah. So yeah. So just the, the, complicated. The, just but the the fra- the framing of the idea that a, a legally something that you know through all um, through the the idea of this like human capital neoliberal system itself you have earned that contract through you know prior prior results and you know convincing someone to um, pay you in 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 long term for at the, at that sort of level the fact that if you ever you know stop you know the you know stop stop producing at that level you know you've suddenly just retroactively even though even though you've earned it yeah. through their system you know has become bad morally it's a moral failing on your part exactly yeah whereas you know the um the the flip side of that you know a good contract is you know oh never really it's it's always seen as something like good on the part of the GM to like secure those rights for a while, but what you're really saying is like, well, this guy is vastly underpaid for what he's doing. Just the idea of bad and good contracts, you know, being um, explicitly framed in the way that you know saves the team money, that you know provides greater profit to you know the owner of the team. Who the owner of the team is just like the owner of of a sports team is just like a caricature of what capitalism is. They provide no value, obviously. Right. <laughs> and and no, yet they're the ones reaping all the profits. So. Yeah. And then you get to play them as the, you get to sort of play them and the GM in those, sta- in those stat sheet games. Right. To kind of be both. Yeah. 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 To some extent, there, there are some that, that place you like under the constraints of this, like all seeing owner for us and, this this owner says, oh, you can't spend this much money. You know that that happens in, in a lot of those kind of games, and I think that goes back to the the fact that this narrative has sprung a lot from Moneyball specifically, especially in baseball. So, mm. you know, I guess that makes sense. You know, yeah. I mean, not 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 entirely. You know, we barely got to talk about Football Manager, but that's the progenitor of the series. You know, Football Manager has been around since the early '80s. Wow. You know, and old. You know. What Amistrad computers or whatever they're called. Um, so, is that what are they actually called? I'm an idiot. But I don't know. Yeah, just anyway. So, but they have a they have a lot of similar conceits, and obviously they're sparsely influenced by American culture. You know, yeah, they, they have they have their own whole they have their own thing going on. But it, yeah, I I I like I like the fact that, and I I think I think probably. I'll I'll ask you if you have another thing to say, but I think we're probably like coming up on an hour. Right. Um, yeah. But I really like that this was sort of a winding path of a of a discussion in some ways, because I think the the question that you raise about the the relationship or that you raised to me about the relationship between spreadsheet games and real baseball, and then also the the ways in which more interesting the ways in which spreadsheet uh, stat sheet games like. Uh, to real reflect yeah yeah reflect a certain fan mentality right right um that has become so pervasive yeah i think it's 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 so complex and interdependent on so many things that like it becomes very difficult to say like you know to take a, a a moral stance where it's like yeah you know i i stand against uh the the uh commodification of players and you're just like well you know i also kind of do like prospects yeah um, yeah oh it's super fun right like yeah right exactly yeah i mean yeah i mean i've been following the nba draft you know uh, I, I have a similar yeah story. yeah i mean i'm a lakers fan so i get to have also have this oh, experience you of you know just miserable basketball failure for a while you know on explained explained in a different way than you know the, the kind of the kind of hinky process so it's but but yeah no i've been following you're the draft. affected by it this year what not you. You could have been affected by the process this year. So. <sighs> Gosh, and, yeah, and, and we're not some Dwight Howard trade. Gosh, um, um, but yeah. So, so I've been following the draft. I'm sure you've been following the kind yeah, of draft of prospect to, to some extent. And you know, I'm already vaguely have opinions about you know Lonzo Ball already. So. <laughs> you like him or I think no. I think he's gonna be I think he's gonna be a good player. I think he's I think he's gonna be good. I don't I don't know I don't know about the fit for the team. I'm not touching Lavar. That's well above my um my Your pay grade. Yeah, pay grade in in terms of analysis. Um yeah. I think I think I think he's gonna be a Laker man. I I think I think, so. I'm, I think I'm fine with that. Alright, alright. Good. 
All right. Well, uh, Kara, uh, any other thoughts that you have before we? No, no. I I think um, I'm 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 glad this kind of uh, it feels completely unstructured, but somehow we've managed to hit on pretty much everything that I that I plan to bring up here. So that's fantastic. So thanks so much for being on. It was it was really a pleasure. Um, again, you can follow uh, Kara at um, her Twitter at uh, Q A R A. K-O-N. Q-A-R-A-K-O-Y-U-N-L-U. I knew I would get it wrong. (laughs) Listen to her version of it, not mine. Um, (laughs) Is there anything that you'd like to plug before? Um, No, 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 no. I I think that um, there are things very deeply in in the works, but um, if if you're going to hear about that, it's going to be through my Twitter, first and foremost. Um, like Like any good leftist on... Social media, I tweet incessantly. <laughs> I live online, and most of my tweets are about sure. professional wrestling. So hey, no, it's it's you know we we we're we're a podcast friendly to professional wrestling. Oh so. no, I know I know I listen I listened to the episode with Navarro that was very, yeah, very there you good. go. <laughs> so um, if 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 anyone you know just give those caveats before after we get my Twitter handle out, but absolutely if if there are any projects coming through me, that is where you'll hear about them first. Wonderful. Oh, she's an excellent follow and an excellent guest. Thanks so much for being on. All right, thank you for having me.